In today's episode, you're going to learn the shocking truth behind this seven-figure entrepreneur's controversial documentary on cancel culture. You'll hear how she faced the wrath of her fans, followers, and fellow entrepreneurs, as well as the truth about her getting arrested while making this film. Here we go. What's going on, everyone? Thomas Jordan here for another episode. Today, we are joined by YouTube expert, documentary filmmaker, and recently the queen of cancel culture, Marley Jacks. What's going on? Oh my gosh, the queen of cancel culture. That's so funny. I saw someone yesterday and was like, oh, hey, Miss Cancel Culture. I was like, is that what I'm known for now? <laughs> We're going to get you a t-shirt. We I guess so. That just says cancel me on it. I yeah. dare you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get into that in just a second. But first, how did you get started on your entrepreneurship journey? Um. So before I was an entrepreneur, and I, I didn't plan on it. I didn't think that I was going to start a business. When I was growing up, my only introduction to business was watching uh, The Apprentice with Donald Trump. And I was like, oh, that looks cool. But they look like they were hustling their butts off. I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I could do that. Um, and so, but I loved uh, entertainment. So I worked in radio and television for a bit. And I think I have kind of a similar story with you. And that's, you know, why we've connected so much is uh, I just totally got my heart broken in that industry. And pretty unstable in that industry. And so I went back to something a little more stable, dental hygiene, while I figured out what I really wanted to be when I grow up. And while in between cleaning teeth, I was doing social media for the dental office. And then their IT guy was like, hey, do you want to do social media for some of my other clients? And I was like, sure, why not? Well, next thing I know, he's introduced me to all of his clients. And I like have a business like I'm, I'm running to the bathroom between patients to like, post on like hide in the bathroom and post on social media for my other clients. And, uh, and, and eventually it took off from there that I was doing like social media and website design and graphic design and SEO and YouTube and video. And the thing that I had the most fun doing was video marketing. Like growing up, I wanted to make movies and I was like, cool, I get to do this now for businesses. And uh, it's evolved from there. We have an agency that we work with clients from all over building their YouTube channels. We consult, we coach. Um, but then recently I've you know gone back to my original dreams of I want to make movies. And um, I, I made this you know public declaration about a year ago saying, you know what, I want to make movies. I want to go to Hollywood and do this thing. And um, it was really cool how many people reached out with like connections and opportunities and here, like try this. And then there was one friend that was like, you know, why don't you just use the platform you already have? Like you're, you're on YouTube, you have your own creative control, you have an audience there. You don't need to go to Hollywood to have someone else, you know, control your create creativity. And I ran with that. And uh, recently, as you've, you know, hinted at, I made a documentary on cancel culture that, um, that kind of did pretty well. And it's been really fun. And next month, it's uh, premiering in a film festival that I didn't even know that was possible. I was going to say, did you submit it for that? I saw that on your Facebook page. I, I wasn't didn't. sure if that was you or somebody else. It's one of the organizers from the Manhattan Film Festival saw it and reached out to me and said, hey, do you want us to play it at the film festival? We'd love to screen it here. And I was like, my my little video? What? And uh, and then after that, like I had other people reach out to me being like, hey, you should submit it to other film festivals. So I'm I'm preparing to and I just didn't even know that I could. So very exciting. Does this kind of chalk it up to 
where you really don't know who's watching you on YouTube? I mean, were you just right. sitting there and all of a sudden somebody from the Manhattan Fim- Film Festival was like, oh, hey, by the way. Yeah. And then like another guy who's like, my best friend is the former president at Paramount and he watched it. And like, I was like, what? Like, who would never know who's watching? And and I'm excited to see where it can go from here. Do you ever, how do you, do you ever have those moments where you've, the people who reach out to you, do you have that moment in your mind where you're like, is this real or is this fake? It's real life. Yeah. Am I dreaming? It's so cool. No, I literally mean like, is this person really who they say they are? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, am I being catfished right now? Yeah. If you see my if you see the documentary, you know, maybe I deserve it, but <laughs> Yeah. But I, I kind of want to back up just a little bit though, because I mean you basically just told your whole story in one shot there. But like yeah. how how long did this have you been on this journey? So I started my social media side business well, as a dental hygienist in 2016. And then I left full-time dental hygiene in 2017. Um, And then I made my first million in my business in 2019. And when you made that first million, how did it feel? (laughs) Well, honestly, you know, you you think that you're going to reach this like milestone and be like, oh, I've made it and smooth sailing from here and everything is a dream. No, my first million was not very profitable. So as exciting as it is to say, like, I made my first million in my business, I was also investing in my business so much to try to take it to a new level that um, that of the million, I, I was in debt when I made my first million. I was climbing my way out of it. Like I was just becoming profitable. And then my second million in 2020 was more profitable, but then I was going through a divorce in 2020. So it's like, when you sign up for a lifestyle like this, like there's constant growth, which means growing pains, which means constant transition. And I think that I needed a really big wake up call that, that not everything is going to be sunshine and daisies and that I signed up for this. And um, the best way to get through it is, you know, there's no, no way around it is just through it. And to realize that I said yes to this and to realize, oh no, I do want this. Cause the alternative is, you know, stagnancy or boredom or mediocre. And that's, that's not what I sign up for either. And when you start making millions of dollars, is it true that the, with Mo money, there's Mo problems? Mo money, Mo problems. I mean, yeah, you're, you're, problems just evolve to the level that you do but also the things that you're qualified to encounter now you know you wouldn't have been qualified for three years ago and I feel like whatever I'm doing right now is my training ground for the obstacles the challenges that I'm going to encounter another three years from now yeah and what were some of your biggest or excuse me before I ask that question if you don't mind me asking what was the tax bill like when the when that type of money comes through I can only imagine um well the first one wasn't profitable like I mentioned so that one was fine um and as as I've also evolved in business like there's a lot of really really smart tax strategists um that can teach you how to like make investments that then offset your taxes and like getting into a community like that I luckily have not had uh, an extremely painful tax bill but I definitely have had friends that are like, 
this sucks. <laughs> I have had, so I'm Canadian and I moved to the States and the first year in the States, I got hit with, oh, you have to pay taxes in both countries. That sucked. So did you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ouch. That's it took dangerous. a little while because you do get a credit back, but like it took a very long time to get that back. <laughs> of course, yeah. the government wants you to pay things on time, but they'll take their time paying you. What? No, yeah. they don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, when it when you start building up your business and you get to the million dollar mark, I guess, what were some of your biggest hurdles as an entrepreneur? Um, surrounding myself with the right people um, and trusting myself. So when I, when my first million, like I mentioned, wasn't very profitable. The reason why is because at that time I had a service that I charged anywhere from five to $15,000 a month. And really to make a million dollars in a year, it's only, it's only about $80,000 a month. So if I'm charging five to 15,000, that could be, you know, like eight to 10 clients there. Um, which was all, which was all right, but my time was limited. So like I wanted more time to balance with the money. So I wanted to create a coaching program or a course where I could serve one to many instead of one-on-one. Cause I, you know, I still had a ceiling on my time when we talk about like becoming entrepreneurs so we can stop trading hours for dollars. I still was in a way they were just higher value hours for dollars. So I wanted to create a coaching program and I kept hearing everyone in my in my, my inner circle and my mastermind saying, you know, you got to do these webinars, like do a webinar, sell a coaching program and just do one every week. And like, you'll make millions of dollars. And I had so many friends that were doing this and were great examples of this. Um, but of course, what they don't always lead with is like, you're not just, you know, one funnel away overnight the first time. And so the first time I did a way, and I hired an amazing copywriter. I hired this amazing Facebook ad agency. I hired um, a sales rep to be able to get on sales calls with these potential leads that I thought were going to come through from this webinar. Again, this is the first time I'm doing this. I'm super naive, had no idea what, what it would take to create this. Um, and so I just like hired really smart people thinking if I hire people that know how to do this, like I'll be able to fast track my growth. Um, and instead what I did is I just invested a lot and I hadn't validated my offer hadn't validated my marketing my messaging my audience and so basically i just dumped a ton of money into what i thought was an investment that was going to pay off but i needed more time to keep validating it and um and i found myself six figures in debt and paying for people that like i just wanted to be able to trust them but i had like offloaded my trust and not really looked at my own like intuition or red flags going off um, and didn't know my numbers so um, that was a huge eye opener for me. I had a mentor that was up with me till like three o'clock in the morning, helping me like find the areas of the bleed in the business and was like, listen, if you fire these people, like you're immediately profitable and you just have to rebuild again, like by yourself. And so that was a really tough day that I you know, called these three people on my team that I paid to do this, the Facebook ad agency that I was dumping money into that you know, I looking back now, it would be easy for me to see like, hey, dumping money into ads into something that you haven't validated that you haven't even tested it organically to your warm audience, like, hey, you're dumping money down the drain. Um, So yeah, I, I had to rebuild. And but it was an amazing time looking back because that forced me 
to rebuild and like speak to my audience directly. And I was the one getting on sales calls and I learned how to sell and I learned what my audience needed. And then I was able to rebuild and the tuition I paid, like that six figures in debt, that was like a huge lesson for me to know my numbers, know how to sell and know how to hire a team that you like put accountability around. Um, and you know, it's, it's not their fault. They were doing everything that I asked them to do, but I didn't know how to lead them. And was it stressful to be so far in debt? Cause I think a lot of us, at least with me anyway, I never wanted to be in debt. I was that person who always, yeah, I'm still that person who pays their credit card every single month. Yep. And if I owe somebody a dollar, you would think I owe them 20 grand. So mm-hmm. I stress out big time. How did you handle the stress for being six figures in debt? Yeah. And I'm the same as you. I, I, those kind of open loops on me. I can't handle it. And so for me, I held a lot of shame and it was a big secret. Like I did not talk about it to my family, to my friends. I thought that to my team, even I just kept it quiet thinking like, I believe in myself so much and I know that I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this pay off and it's going to work. And you hear all these people that like, they just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And then like, boom, one day they have that overnight success. And I truly believed that. And, um, and thankfully I, I got honest with a mentor and said like, Hey, I don't like, what do I need to do? Is it my sales calls? Is it this? And he's like, no, first of all, you need to, you know, protect your butt. Like (laughs) you got to, change around, like let these people go and immediately get profitable again. Cause I had revenue in the business. It's just that I was investing so much to try to build another side of the business, which is another great lesson of like, if you try to chase two rabbits at once, you will likely lose both of them. So, um, and then after that, like that mentor of mine was so, so helpful in allowing me to see how meaningful this situation was, no matter how painful it was. And then I started sharing that story. Like I, you know, got on podcasts and I shared, like, I made this huge mistake and here's what I'm, you know, crawling myself out of. And it was a huge lesson to me, like, yes, very painful. Yes, very expensive. But it was also a tuition I paid to learn that lesson. And it was really cool how many people um, reached back out to me saying, like, I was going through that and I thought that I had to be like quiet about my numbers. And I thought that I couldn't share these things and I didn't realize where I was making mistakes. Um, so it was really cool for even sharing that and building a community around like, hey, as entrepreneurs, we're not going to have this overnight success. It's like 10 years to build that overnight success. And um, and like we can be honest about it along the way and like not be alone in our struggles. And you talk about letting these team members go. It sounded like you have a really good relationship with them. Um what was it like having to kind of step up as a leader and have that hard conversation to let them go? Yeah, that sucks. Like letting, letting people go is always so painful, especially in my business. I look at my team, like my family, you know how you talk about, like you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. My team is the people, these are the people that I spend the most time with. Like I, you know, we're on Slack and zoom and stuff every single day. And they're like family. We visit each other's families. Like I've, you know, played with their kids. And so to let them go was really painful and, um, and, you know, left them in a difficult position and tried to leave them as best as I can. But sometimes when you're in those scenarios where you lose part of your livelihood, like things can get emotional, things can get heated. And so it did damage our relationship for a while. And I think about a year later, we came back to like, you know, being, being friends again. And, 
Um, and we, we ended up doing some work together in the future, but then I was a better leader and was able to, you know, position things better for like, whether it's like project work or here's the expectations or here's what we need to be successful. And I'm so glad that I got that lesson as painful and expensive as it was that now in my future hires, like I, I love leading a team. And that was something that I never expected going into business. I never thought that, um, that I was going to have a company and employees and people that I help provide for their families. And it's like one of my favorite things is to build other people and see the potential in them and how cool that their dreams fit into my vision and that I get to create that environment for them. And you mentioned leadership. What is the most, what is the most exciting part now about leadership in your business? My favorite parts of my business is like just getting on calls with my team and we just have, we call them ideation calls and we'll just be like, Hey, what if we did this? Oh my gosh, what if we did this? And then we should do this. And it's just, it's so fun to have this like confetti cannon of ideas in a zoom call and, um, and to get, and to see my team excited about what we're building. Like when we released the cancel culture documentary, my copywriter made this post of like, this has been the most exciting moment of my career to be involved in something that went viral. And it was so cool to feel like I had no idea that I was able to create the most exciting part of his career for him. And for my other team members that like, I had a, a woman that took her kids to Disneyland and like made a, a comment of like, I couldn't do this without you. And I'm like, like how touching, how amazing. These are people that I'm also just as grateful for that they're making my dreams come true. And the thing that I said before, like my favorite thing as a leader is that I get to set a vision and there's people that their dreams fit into that vision that we're all like, we all show up to work every day. Like what else can we create together? And how do you attract people like that? Cause the, I have heard, and I'm sure you can validate this as well when it comes to business, hiring people and finding the right team members for the right role is the hardest part. So how do you attract your dream team? I think that, hmm. I want to hire people that are smarter than me, but I think to do that, I have to hold the highest integrity that they have to see the vision for the company and believe that their vision will fit into that and that they can expand past that vision. Cause you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't get a job at something that you felt like walking into it. You have a ceiling and you hardly fit in that box and you're never going to grow anywhere from there. I, I want to create an environment where people are like, it's like walking into Disney World. You're like, wow, look at all the possibilities and all the things that we could do here. And this is so fun and these adventures. And um, and I actually have, you know, like we create webinars in our business to sell cus potential customers on our products. I have a webinar for my team when they join our business or even before, like even in the hiring process where I have this webinar it's a pre-recorded thing that I just do once or twice a year where I'm like, here's the vision for our company. Here's where we see ourselves going in one year, three year, five years. Here's our, our core beliefs. Here's, you know, our, our big vision of what we want to create. And it, it's like a webinar selling our potential employees on our business. And, and it has this really good push pull language too. Like here's what we want and here's what we don't want. And it's totally okay. If that doesn't fit for you, like we want this to be a place that you love to work at. You know, we had someone that um, that applied for our company 
And like, we're, we're, you know, loud enough about being capitalists. Like we believe in making a lot of money. And that was a, a mindset shift that I consciously had to change because growing up, I felt like if I love what I do, I don't have to make a lot of money. It's okay. You don't have to pay me that much. Like I believe, I believe that. And think of like the conscious block, the unconscious block that you put on your wealth when you're like, Oh no, 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 it's okay. Like, I'll just take a little bit. I don't need that much money. And so I had to consciously shift that of like, I need money so that I can create even more. Like when I think of all the visions of the movies, the documentaries, the things I want to make, I need to hire the best editors for that. I need to buy, hire the best writers for that. Well, I need money to be able to create that. So one of our core beliefs is we create money so we can create more. And like, I believe in that so strongly. And that's something that I had to shift for myself. So it means a lot. Well, we had someone that applied for our company and they were like, I'm not here just to like line my boss's pockets with cash. I'm out. And I was like, oh, interesting. Well, then you're not a good fit. And also you misunderstood the belief that like we're here to create. And yes, we're here to get wealthy so that we can do that, do amazing things with that money. But if that mindset belief isn't there, they're just not the right fit for us and we're not the right fit for them. And that's totally okay. And how much pushback do you get for openly talking about you being a capitalist? So my boyfriend, Steve Larson, he is known as the capitalist pig. Like he wears a t-shirt with this bright red capitalist pig logo on his chest. And like, he gets a lot of heat for it, which is to me is like, you really, you really come to terms. You really come face to face with what you believe in when you are tested and criticized like how much do you really believe in this when people are like we've had clients that said that they got spit on at a gas station for wearing that shirt but what shocks me about that is like money is good you can do good things with money you can also do bad things with money if you were a bad person so it's really more about like who you are the back of the shirt says get rich give back hmm so I, yeah, I, I believe in it. And if people don't like me for my desire to make money, maybe they don't know me well enough to know what I'm going to do with that money. And, and maybe they have their own limiting beliefs. And that's not that's not my business and not up to me to try to change them. And seeing the reaction of people just by wearing a shirt that says capitalist pig on it and the reaction that people give, I guess, hit your boyfriend and people who, who just wear the shirt. Was that, in, was that part of the inspiration for your recent documentary about cancel culture? You know, I didn't put it together at the time, but looking at it now, it's like, yeah, we're taking a stand for, you know, financial freedom and freedom of speech. And yeah, it, it really aligns, doesn't it? The thing that really inspired cancel culture for me was like seeing, you know, just how many people have limited their voice in fear of what could happen in retaliation, in fear of like people that don't believe in it. Am I going to get canceled or threatened? I've seen businesses that were doing very well, making millions that just shut down overnight because they couldn't handle the criticism or channels with millions of subscribers that didn't release content anymore because they were they were afraid of getting canceled or afraid of what people would say and it's like is that really necessary like before you could just unsubscribe you didn't have to ruin people's lives and 
people can say, oh yeah, I hate cancel culture, but what are we actually doing about it? Like they just, you know, say that to the little echo chamber, but what's actually being done instead of just talking about it. So I set out to make this documentary that would really provoke people. And we certainly did. I don't know how much you, you saw when like it first came out, but people were mad. Oh, I, I watched the whole thing. I was like, this is great. <laughs> like, yeah. And to be honest, and we'll get into it in a second, but I think I told you in a post, like it, it actually inspired me a little bit because to release this one interview I did and looking back on it, it's so funny because I try to give as much context as humanly possible because I have a broadcasting background. And the guy I did a interview with was one of my mentors, and he's got like 30 plus year. He was on the news desk before I was even born. And um, we were just kind of talking about how the media coverage is so skewed and like how it's supposed to, you know, you're supposed to get the facts right then and there and not this whole like lag of like sometimes there's like a three month window and then it's like, oh, these facts came out now. And we covered every sensitive topic there was. And I was like, Oh God, here we go. Like in one foul swoop, this whole podcast thing is up in smoke. And I was just like, whatever, I don't even care. And just, this has happened twice to me now <clears throat> when I think something bad's going to happen, you know, what ends up happening. What? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. So I it's like, worry so much. Yeah, it's like we're scared of this boogeyman. I mean, I'm sure there, I mean, I've always known where the line is or whatever, sure. but I mean, and there are certain things that can get you canceled. But I, like I said, I think the way you did it was, I, I think it was great. Thank you. Yeah, it was quite, quite an adventure. Yeah. What was the hardest part about that documentary? I know you were poking the bear. Um, uh-huh. And I don't want to ruin it for the people who haven't watched it, or maybe I do because I have so many questions about it. Um, <laughs> but did you really get arrested? No. No. Okay. Okay. Because so I, I'm just maybe it's just because I'm naive because I'm just like you know I believe Marley Jacks is telling this story. I believe everything I'm seeing. I get so like invested of it, but then I started looking at the comments. And people, and I think there was this one girl, I wish I would have written her name and found the comment, but she was giving you a hard time because the, it was fake and like Mm -hmm. trying to drum up attention. And I'm thinking to myself, like, lady, have you been on the internet? Like it's the wild, wild west out here. The fact that you're not like a cookie cutter entrepreneur, whatever, and then you go and do something like this to get more attention on your business she's like almost shaming you for it. But I was like, am I the only one in the room that's like, this is genius. (laughs) (laughs) I would say that, and it changed. So at the beginning, uh, people were really mad. Like at first, when we first released what, what was really happening, because the experiment was real. Like we fabricated this whole thing to really get a real reaction. Cause it's one thing to make a video about like, Oh, here's the facts about cancel culture. And let me tell you three things. Number one, number two, number three. And then we interviewed this person. Like we went through it. Like for me to, to experiment with cancel culture, I needed to experience what it was like to get canceled. And so for people that haven't seen it, I don't know how much we'll give away, but maybe we'll tiptoe into it, but I got canceled. And Um, yeah, at the beginning people were mad, like, but then it it was cool to see because we did a Facebook live to announce what was really happening, what was really going on. And at first the comments were like, 
oh my gosh, how dare you? This is awful. And then like, there was this moment where it, the tides turned and then they were like, whoa, you went through all of that to make this point. Holy smokes. I had no, who would do something like that? This is amazing. I got to share this. This is, here's my story about cancel culture. It was so cool. How many people started sharing their own experience with cancel culture. And so it went from like, I would say like 70% of people being mad to then 70% of people loving it and sharing it and, and validating it. And then I think it went up from there, like 80%, 90%. And as time has gone, gone by, I would say like 90% like it, 10% don't. And, um, and that's cool. And when people don't like it, or when people are feeling triggered about it, what I say to that is like, this was meant to be triggering. It's not meant to be harmful. And, you know, we were the only person, I mean, I, I guess I can't say for sure, but it hurt for me to do it. Like, please know that the experiment was real. I was in so much pain for two days. We were actually going to make it go for five days. And I was in so much pain that I was like, we got to, we got to release it early. It, it was, it was, it was very difficult. Um, and, and yeah, it's meant to be provoking because when people are provoked and people feel things, that's when they make a change. Mm. And like I said, the, the, as soon as I started to realize, it's like, wait a minute, is it real or fake? I was like, oh, but it's like, where does that idea come from? Are like, are, were you just like sitting in a coffee shop or it's like, I mean, like I said, that, that idea is very outside the box to me. And I always wonder where that idea actually came from. Mm. We, I like to think whenever I think of content creation, I'm like, Hey, how do I make this good, better, best? And so the idea of speaking to cancel culture, something that we care about, that we care about speaking to people's freedom of speech, we were like, okay, I mean, I can just make a video where like talking head and I talk about cancel culture, step one, step two, step three. Okay, how do I make it even better than that? I could interview people who have been canceled. I can interview PR experts. That would make it even better, get like some different storylines in there too. And then we just went crazy. And I always love to do that with, with our ideation calls. We're like, how do we just make this ridiculous? Like, let's get an elephant in the room. Let's like, how do we like, you know, we think of the most craziest things to expand our creativity and then like kind of bring it back down to earth. And so we're like, well, Marley, you had a situation where you were canceled, kind of canceled. When I, when I actually kind of coming back around to the beginning of the episode here, when I got my first million dollar award so this award that's behind me for anyone watching the video um it's a two comma club award that the software gives you when you earn a million dollars through their software and um mine was not profitable and there was this rumor started that i faked it and like it got crazy on the internet saying that i faked my award that i put a million dollars through my own credit card for me to earn this award and like it this rumor spiraled out of control and like People said that they weren't going to work with me anymore. And I was like, oh, like I should share that story about cancel culture. And what made it even crazier was like, then we started to think, what if I could, what what if I could create a real cancel culture experience and attempt to get myself canceled to show what it's like. And um, it was really only because we actually did experiment with things. Like I, you know, we made those posts online to see what people would say. I went out in public and did some things. We had a plan to go out to an HOA meeting and, um, and we like, you know, it was very uncomfortable. And then we had the idea of what if we, it was only two weeks before the video went out that we got Dan Henry involved, which I don't know how much I want to give it away, but you'll see in the video, Dan Henry was very instrumental in leaking something about me 
that uh, we fabricated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and real quick about this two comma club rumor through click funnels. Do you know who started the rumor and why they did it? Yeah. Um, I have, a, a yeah. Um, there was a, how do I put this? <laughs> there was someone that didn't like me and, uh, it was unfortunate because I never wanted, like, I never named names to be like, they said this about me and the reason why, but I made a video to respond to the rumors and I didn't even need to say the person's name, but I was like, you know, I'm, I didn't succeed the first time, the second time, the 17th time overnight. And I don't know anyone that has, and I've shared my story publicly on podcasts that I was in debt, that I made these mistakes. But the truth is that I did make a million dollars in revenue. It's about revenue, not profit. And for anyone that's going to bash someone for making mistakes along the way to a big milestone that not a lot of people achieve, you know, I hope that that doesn't discourage other people from just attempting, from just trying, for just reaching for it. And um, it was really cool that I just, I shared my story and I shared how I felt about it without naming names. And I think it worked out really well for me to, to just be vulnerable and be honest. And um, I didn't, I didn't need to name names to uh, attack back or anything. Is success the best revenge? Um, I think healing is the best success and not even, because if, if you are healed and whole as a person, I don't think you really care about revenge. It's just like, I wish you well, and I'm going to go, do better things with my time than worry about someone feeling bad because I'm successful and happy. I just go be happy, go mind your own business and I'll take care of me too. Yeah. And this is the last question I'll ask because I always, when people do certain things like this, I always wonder what the underlying issue is. Like what is the root of the issue? Uh, do you know what the root of the issue was? For the rumor? For the, yeah, for the guy who, or girl who started this rumor. I mean, I can only speculate. I think that, you know, you hear the saying like hurt people, hurt people. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was a kid and like, or even, even when I was in the entertainment industry and it was like getting my heart broken from, and I'm a very, you know, sensitive person. And it was just like, some people will tear others down to build themselves up and, hopefully and that kind of wraps back around into cancel culture too like when you see people make a mistake can you reach out to them can you give compassion instead of canceling because holding someone in their mistake isn't going to help anyone evolve and i know there's other people who are going through something very similar to you with this uh with like the rumor thing um and kind of people coming after you uh how it, when if they came to you and were like almost at their breaking point and they're like, how do I get through this? What would you tell them? Mm. I really feel for them. And uh, the hard part is, is it, it probably is going to happen. And the bigger that you become, the bigger the target is on your back, which sucks, but also is like part of what you signed up for. And maybe you change your mind along the way. Maybe you're like, you know what? I'm happy to not play as big or play a bigger role in a smaller community. And and that's, a, and I'm never telling anyone to play smaller, but like it does take some 
desensitization maybe or um strengthening in your in your mindset of of what really does matter um when i was going through the cancel culture experiment it was very painful for me and now on the other side and like anytime i would open up my phone to see the new comments it was awful it was addicting it was awful it's it, it was so painful but it was also like what else did they say what happened now was and i had to compartmentalize the discomfort and there was something that happened in coming back from it after because it was like two days of the experiment and then another i would say like week of the hype after the the documentary released and then kind of slowed down that i every time i pick up my phone was like bracing for impact and now i feel like it's desensitized me a bit um and kind of like what i was saying earlier what you're going through now is your training ground for what is being prepared for you what what's going to come up for you in the next you know months years as you continue to walk this path think of the things that you're doing now that three years ago you never would have been qualified to do um and you get to go at your own speed i think like if you if things are intense like take a break step back get some therapy get some support surround yourself with other people that have been through it and hopefully with the conversations happening around cancel culture now it's been really cool that i've seen people online that are calling out cancel culture um behavior and being like hey you know you guys can just agree agree to disagree and unsubscribe if you don't like it you're welcome to unsubscribe it's it's that's a that's a fun response that i have in my backpack all the time if someone doesn't like something or they say something negative i'm like hey you're welcome to unsubscribe thanks for stopping by (laughs) (laughs) and you mentioned um being addicted to the comments for your documentary about cancel culture what emotion, what emotional roller coaster were you going through? It was so painful. <laughs> so when like when you see the documentary, that is real emotion. And we actually have a follow-up coming up very soon called Fabricating a Scandal. And because we filmed a lot of behind the scenes of creating this. And there's this one scene that I haven't even seen yet, but my videographer, like, I can see that he gets little bit of tears in his eyes when he talks about it he's like because we rushed like we got together friday morning me and my editor in the in our office together that i'm like editing with him to try to push out this video as fast as we could because we need like we were still filming during those last days to get the reaction and put the reaction in this video and i'm like we need to get this out today i cannot live another day like this and so we have the camera just set up and filming while we're editing And he's like, there's this moment where you like step back from the chair and you're just in a daze and like you walk to the kitchen and you pace back and like you are just, your lights are on and no one is home. And I think that that's how, it would be a very dangerous state to live in for a long period of time. Um, It was constant anxiety. My hands were, I could not stop shaking. I didn't know who was talking about me I didn't know who because I was also in I was at an event with a lot of my peers and I walk in the room and there's like a hundred people that I know and I don't know who knows I don't know who's seen the leak that happened on social media I don't know if they don't like me anymore if they're thinking bad things about me if the rumors are also flying and so I had to compartmentalize in my brain and just push like push it to the side and focus on the vision that I had for the outcome of this documentary, but also 
be unattached to that outcome because I had no idea what was going to happen. And with cancel culture being such a sensitive topic in your documentary and all the emotions you did go through, how did that affect your personal relationship? Um, so Steven, the whole time going through it, like he's, he's the best, like for him to be beside me through all, because of course people were messaging him being like, are you okay? Is Marley okay? What do you need? How can I get? And we told like our inner circle of friends, like, you know, our close friend group, our parents and stuff like that. I actually didn't tell my mom. I told his mom and I forgot to tell mine. She didn't see it. She doesn't go on Facebook very often. So the first time she saw it was when she saw the documentary. But yeah, he like he got messages. Um, a lot of my friends, close friends got messages too. And I was like, hey, if you get messages, either like don't respond because it'll be over in a few days. Or if you because I also made a post on my social media saying don't believe everything you see on the internet. I'll explain more soon. And so they would sometimes screenshot that and share that as a response and be like, this is all I know, um, which was true at the time because I was like, hey, we're doing this thing. Something's going to come out. I'm fine. I'll tell you more after. So like not many people actually knew what was going on. So people were worried. I had um, a, like two people, um, not anyone that I was like super close with, more of like um, acquaintances that were very mad at me that said, I was so worried about you. I spent time defending you in the comments. I couldn't stop thinking about you for two days. And now I realize that that was a huge waste of my time and I feel emotionally manipulated. Um, and I, you know, apologized for that. And th that was never, never my intention. Um, but also in like processing all the comments that I got, I had a, you know, a mentor of mine say like, you're not responsible for how other people feel. Like you're not responsible for their triggers. And this is an exercise of being aware of how we are triggered, not in and unintentionally and unconsciously. And of course, I never, never intend to like hurt anyone through my actions. Um, and so I apologized and, and, and meant it. But um, it also is, yeah, like I said, a good, a good exercise to be aware of, of our triggers and maybe codependence with people. And at any point, in the making of this documentary, did you ever have the thought of just, we need to unplug this, like, I can't do this? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we did release it like three days early too. It was because it was very painful. Um, and leading up to the leak, my team was like, how do you feel knowing that it's coming? Like, are you sure you want to do this? And I just like, there was this part of my brain that I just like shut off and was like, I'm just going to be naive to this. I'm, I'm choosing to not think about it. Of course, we thought about all the possible scenarios and what do we do if this happens? What do we do if this happens? Um, but we also just, I was like, okay, I'm just committed to to the vision of this documentary and I'm going all in because if I, if I don't and if I pull out too early, the whole thing is destroyed. And that was also really difficult during the, the experiment because I was in a lot of emotional pain going through it. And I was like, if I somehow pulled out right now and like was like, hey, just kidding, it's for a documentary, that would ruin the entire effect. If Dan Henry, who was a big part of the experiment, who amazingly, we only asked two weeks before and he said yes, um, if he backed out, which in his position, I don't know anyone else that that would do that. Like, I don't know who would be willing to put his reputation on the line for the outcome of this. Anyone else could have easily been like, screw this, I'm out, just kidding, this was a, an experiment. 
Um, but he was like all in. And even when we were, when he was getting a lot more heat than I was at one point, and we needed to strategize how to turn the heat back onto me. So we made a post that, you know, our whole goal was like, we need to make me look like Amber Heard here. Um, and within a minute, someone did comment saying like, this girl is like Amber Heard. Um, you know, we asked like, Hey, do you want us to back off? Like, what should we do? And he's like, no, double down. Like he was an amazing accomplice in this. (laughs) And during the experiment, were there more happy tears or panic tears? I don't think there were any happy tears. (laughs) Um, it was a lot of panic tears. Uh, and even watching it after, like, the day that it released, you know, had a little, re- not release party, but like me and my family, you know, sitting in the living room and we watched it and it was like, I'm like watching them watch it. Like, is it, is it good to you? And I, I think I had a bit of an emotional hangover for a few days after and Steven would be like, you okay? Like, what do you need? I was just in a daze, I think for, for days, um, processing everything that happened and like recovering from the emotions that I went through. And now that you've been through all this, I think going through a documentary and making one, I don't, for you to make a documentary, I don't think people understand the work that goes behind a certain thing. And I think that would deter a lot of people from actually making one themselves. But since you're over that hurdle now, has it just opened up the floodgates of ideas for like, oh, let's make a documentary about this. Oh, let's make a documentary on that. Yeah. Um, So the next one is fabricating a scandal. Uh, We have one about manufacturing fame. We have one about the toxicity of hustle culture. Um, One about uh, think and grow rich and manifesting. Um, we have one on blue collar crime and I feel like there's one more that I'm forgetting, but we have six that we're working on right now. What you're working on six or there's just six ideas on a board somewhere. Uh, we are working on six. So like they're all at different stages, like some are in ideation, some are the scripts are written, some were filming. Like I have, I have two that I'm working on filming this week and then more scripts being written and then calls every week that are happening for the ideation and planning. So how in the world are you piecing together six storylines for documentaries, running a seven-figure business, and putting out free content as well? How the hell are you doing that? And have a great team. If you need more time, you need more team. (laughs) So my favorite things that I am focusing on is definitely the content creation Um, and then I have, you know, the team that's handling the marketing and the fulfillment for our coaching programs and everything. And I kind of dip into there. I have great, we have a great system that I have a lot of all my meetings are on Monday. Um, and then we have also just creative meetings on like Wednesday and uh, Wednesday and Friday. And then the rest of the time is me filming. Wow. Because I've got a selfish question for you. So the way my brain works anytime, even with like this whole, like online space as far as like coaching and programs and mentorships and things like that. There's so many things you have to learn, whether it's if you're on YouTube, it's the SEO, the titles, the thumbnails, the videos, the video editing, the scripts. It's like, okay, with, well, with webinars, there's webinar software, there's messaging, which is like a whole nother thing. Then it's like Facebook ads, YouTube ads, how to hire. And what ends up happening to me 
is my brain just gets so overwhelmed. It just completely shuts down. Is it, is it like that for you? And if it is, how did you push through that? And if it's not, I I don't even know. (laughs) I used to be someone that I would be like, I could jump from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And, uh, and I realized, I think there was like a video that someone talked about productivity and like the, the efficiency that's lost in context switching. Like for me to go from being like writing, which is a very, like for you to write great content, you gotta be in deep flow and switching context is like waking up from a dream and having to fall back asleep again. Um, and so I realized how much I was thinking that, oh, I'm being efficient. I get so much done, but I was never going deep. And so I have to, I structure my time that I have like this deep work uninterrupted sessions to do the creative things. So like on Mondays are my faster paced, go from call to call to call that can be on different things. Tuesday and Thursday, I'm like deep work, creative work, don't interrupt me or it's filming, which is also, you know, can't really be interrupted while filming. Um, Wednesday, I have half of the day is deep work. And then half of the day is like, maybe some meetings. And if not meetings, then I just keep in my deep work. Uh, and then kind of the same thing for Friday, Friday's pretty light too. So I just kind of shift my time that it's like, here's where I multitask. Here's where I do deep work. Hmm. So for somebody like me who gets overwhelmed when there's a million things coming at you and you just kind of stop, do you have any advice for somebody like me or anybody else who has that issue too? And maybe for you, you are someone that like just having uninterrupted cave time, deep work is the most efficient thing for you to do. Like for Steven, his zone of genius is you leave him in a cave. He like, don't interrupt him. His phone's on do not disturb. And he comes out with masterpieces. For me, I like working with people and having the the frantic, almost like creative energy of like, let's do this and let's do this and let's do this. But then I also need the deep work time to process that and put it into play. So I like to have a variety. Um, and I think it's just a personal preference and also seeing what works, seeing what works best for you and, and what is most efficient for you. Yeah. And Marley, I could, I could pick your brain on this all so day. Fun. I know we could just keep going, but I, I, I want to be respectful of your time. So, uh, I'll just get to uh, my last question and then you can tell people, uh, where to find us, but, or find you. Um, but if you like it, not to sound so cliche when I say this, but tomorrow is never promised. And, um, I just wonder, have you ever thought about like your last day? And if you have, and I know you got six documentaries in, in the can and everything like that, but is there one piece of content or one video or one documentary that you want to make sure is here before you leave? And if so, what is it, what would it be about? Gosh, that's such a good question. And it makes me so sad to think like that I wouldn't get these documentaries out because it's just, just one after another that I want to keep getting out. And I am so eager to hire more editors because that's our, our biggest bottleneck is just the speed to execution with filming and then getting them edited and out the door. Um, it's a higher level of, of uh, quality editing. So if anyone listening, if you're an amazing editor, reach out to me. Um, uh, all of them. <laughs> I've told my team and I actually have a, I have a video locked away in a secret 
folder in Google Drive that's like, if I die. <laughs> and it's a video of me just like, here's what you got to do next. Okay, give this to the kids, give this to Steve. Okay, make this video, put this out. <laughs> um, I would just really hope that my my team would keep doing all the documentaries that we've planned. And, uh, you know, whether they got to act it out themselves or they find someone that looks like me to be the face of it. Uh, all of them. I, I, I would, I would want the message of whatever I create though, to be about your voice, your creativity, your self-worth. And, um, you know, I feel like for me, I struggled for so long in, uh, external validation and, having my self-worth wrapped up in other people's opinions of me or how much money I made or what relationships I was in. And, um, and I went through like a lot of amazing therapy and growth to overcome that. And it was like so how much I held on to those external things to validate me. It's like when I let it go, I really got what I was looking for because I could cultivate it myself. And so I hope that all of these documentaries can share that message about um, how much we are looking for things outside of ourselves. And that's the last place you need to look. That's amazing. And like I said, just your energy. And I, you know, for those of you who don't know, we met a long, long time ago. I don't even, I meant to look at how long it is. 2016. 2016. That's, that's crazy. And, um, I don't know, even then before, you know, you've accomplished so much, you're just, uh, you're one of those people where you, when you're around them, that energy is, um, it's almost, it's a, you could just feel it. And I think that's amazing. I think you're amazing. I think the work you do is amazing. And, uh, yeah, you can't go anywhere. So <laughs> not going anywhere, <laughs> but, um, yeah, and where if people want to watch the documentary, potentially work with you, check out your YouTube channel full of full of value, where can people find mm -hmm. you? Yeah, please do go watch the cancel culture documentary. Go to youtube.com slash Marley Jacks. If you do leave a comment, tell me that you came from this podcast and so much love to Thomas. Um, and then Instagram, Instagram.com slash Marley Jacks. I respond to all my DMs there. Like actually any comment or anything is always from me. It's never from a team. So Feel free to reach out. If you want to see what we do for clients to help them grow their YouTube channels, you can go to vipleadmachine.com.